Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to episode 274 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Inter and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Alrighty. Oh, you made it Can all the way through, Tim. Yeah, I know. Yeah, nice. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, there's a trick to it I'll tell you about later. Ah. So, well, but I was going to sing the Sesame Street song. You know, it's the the, 20, the, um, the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street. That should be right up your your guys' alleys. No, yes. Were you, were you around? Uh, well, I guess Jaime wasn't around 50 years ago. But Well, you know, uh, all I know is as soon as I, I started paying attention, it was there. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah, I remember I remember hearing about it at school and then, and then trying to tune in. We used to have to watch it on uh, on UHF on Channel 19, which is like the U... Uh, no, Channel 27. I guess was the uh, American PBS channel, right? That carried it. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty fuzzy. I remember watching, uh, trying to watch it in really fuzzy black and white back in the day. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, our uh, eventually, I think CBS came, or uh, sorry, PBS came over to cable when we got cable TV and started watching it then. Yeah, it's cool. my dad was always into into the latest tech TV technology kind of stuff, right? So we got that early. Wouldn't you have been kind of old for it though by the time uh, no, cable nine came, came out? Oh, nine. Okay, nine ten. Well, I don't know when cable came around. But when we got cable, it was a different story. Right, so yeah, because we had um, I was living in Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls at the time when I heard about it, and um, I think we got cable in Niagara Falls in, in like the like around 1970 or so, 71, 72, somewhere in there, yeah. and uh, probably 71. And I remember my dad had one of those boxes with the with the like the cable channel that had all these buttons across the top of it, and um, used to like it, it was a box that sat on the, the couch next to you, and you just you'd pick you punch the, the channel you wanted, and it would change over to that channel. Huh. So, yeah, it was back in the early early days. So you didn't have to get off the couch and go change the channel, right? But it had like a cable box, whatever. Yep, only days. 
Anyway, so uh, uh, we have some fact check. We have lots of fact check from last week. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, so we were talking about the new Photoshop um, or iPad that came out, and uh, Jaime mentioned that there was a new file format slash extension. And so I had to go look that one up because I knew it was a, a PSD, which is a Photoshop document uh, file, but apparently the new extension is PSDC, and the C stands for cloud. So it's like, a, so it is, if you put a file up on, on the Adobe Cloud and you open it on your iPad, it does open it. And of course, you can work on it and put it back to Photoshop. It's Photoshop, a Creative Cloud, and, and version, and it will it will open up the PSCD, sorry, PSDC file. And I'd mentioned that uh, I had been using Photoshop since um, 1.0. I remember getting the still have the discs here somewhere, floppy disks, and um, it came out in 1989. I think I mentioned it was 1990 last episode, but it was 1989. And I was also talking about another fact check was talking about Adobe Fresco. Um, I was I, I was surprised that I got it for free, but but, and I thought, I just assumed it was because I had the a, a Creative Cloud uh, subscription of some type. But it turns out it's using the freemium model. So you can use it for free. Uh, but if you want to upgrade to the, and I'm doing air quotes, advanced or premium features, you have to pay uh, a bit more money. So, uh, and this is in US dollars, I believe. Uh, $13.49 a month is for a Fresco single app plan. Um, for, even if you sign up for that, you get six months for free. Uh, otherwise, if you if you have a Photoshop single app plan at, at $20.99, that in that case you would get both Photoshop on the iPad and Fresco, and that fifty two ninety nine is what the whole enchilada costs for the Adobe Creative Cloud plan. That gives you all access to access to all the apps, and um, I I think the only the only few apps I really use from Adobe these days are are um, Illustrator and Photoshop. Uh, Illustrator is really really hurt. Runs on Mojave. Doesn't run on Catalina at all. So I really have to sort of make a decision about when I'm going to upgrade. Huh. Uh, is it yeah. is it never going to run on on? No, Catalina no. The version or? I the version I have. Is Oh, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the Creative mm-hmm. Cloud version. But I don't want to pay $52.99 a month. I'm not right. I'm not using it that much. Like, I'm not... Like, this is my big problem with the whole Adobe plan, and, and I'm sure it is with a lot of people, is that... Because um, there are competitors who are, like, a one-time-only purchase, right? Um, one of them is, like, Affinity Designer, which is a similar, pl- similar program. And I have several busy apps on my Macs and iPads that uh, that compete with, with Illustrator. But, uh, yeah, so it's kind of... I don't want to... You know, I, I, there's no single... Illust- you can't just get a single copy of Illustrator plan. There's no sort of way to do that. But anyway, if you look at it, $29.99, for Photoshop would be the same for Illustrator. You'd be up in the $42 area, you know. So, yeah, it's kind how, of a pain. How much did these cost when they were standalone tools before the well, cloud? Well, see, this is the thing. The funny thing about it, people complain a lot about the price of Adobe software, but I remember paying, like I bought I bought a single copy of Photoshop many years ago when we were when we started doing iOS development. So I had to get one for one of my, one of my coworkers and, at my company, and I remember paying eight hundred and seventy-five dollars somewhere in that neighborhood for a single license of Photoshop. Um, I always had the Creative Suites, and I used to do the upgrade plan. So I would pay somewhere, I think, around seventeen hundred dollars a year is what I would pay. You know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily update every year. I might update every couple of years. So when the when the subscription plan came first came out, a lot of a lot of designer people were opposed to the whole idea of paying monthly. But when you did the math, you were paying the same amount of money right. as you would have back then, right? Um, and so it's kind of it's kind of uh, um, an interesting argument because if you look at things like Final Cut Pro from Apple or Logic Pro, right? Final Cut Pro was somewhere in the neighborhood of thirteen hundred dollars when you bought it a single license for Mac. But when they switched over to the App Store, I think it went down to three hundred dollars. Like when they got the Mac App Store going. Mm. So I'm not sure what it is today, but I guess we could look it up. But um, you know, uh, Apple realized that they couldn't really sort of charge you know distribution charge distribution style pricing for it. Um, 
mind you, I should. I think the, I think if you wanted to get the master collection, which for Adobe, going back to them for a minute, if you the master collection included every license, every site, every application they had, um, and that would so you, you had to you had tiers. They had like a designer tier, they had a web developer tier, they had a film producer tier, and you and those that's what I was sort of in the, for the seventeen hundred dollars or whatever. But I think twenty four hundred dollars around there was would get you the entire master suite, right? So which was still steep, but you know when when you consider you got every single app on the planet, you know, that, that Adobe makes, you know? So, like, if we were using uh, Adobe Premiere for video editing, I think, like, Tammy uses Audion to do her podcast editing. So she's she's on the Creative Cloud plan, right? So pays the, you know, somewhere in the $52 range per month for that. So. Yeah, I guess it depends. If you're a pro user who's using a lot of the tools, it's it's a really good deal. If you're if you're only using one tool, it's not yeah. such a great deal. Yeah, well, and then and a lot of people who I know who are in the, in the audio business, music or, or, or movies, even use uh, Pro Tools, which is I think the old Avid tu- Avid Studio, uh, you know Avid Tools. Yep. I think they became Pro Tools, and, and they're they're expensive, but they don't have I don't think they have a like a, a like a sort of subscription price model. So, um, but yeah, because this big argument was whether people go Logic Pro or, or Pro Tools, or they go Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, but I, I, like yeah, again, like I was I was my argument was if you're making money off this, if this is your business, then it's it's a tool you got to pay for. Right, sure, but it's it's kind of hard. I think the the race to the bottom also <laughs> gets involved in, in designer and, and video editing apps because we have apps that do similar have similar capabilities for way less money. You know, so uh, it's kind of hard to to sort of justify um, in your mind. You know, if you think about it, what what I, I have a friend of mine who's in, in my neighborhood. I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me that he switched over to the Affinity like Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer, and he was a Photoshop Illustrator guy before. Right, so tough to tough to argue with that. But more on the follow-up stuff. Um, I mentioned the two founders of Adobe, um, John Warnock and Charles Gesky, I guess they say his name. They were ex-Park employees, and they were the ones who created PostScript. I don't know if you remember PostScript language. Yeah. Um, but the, the the day they announced uh, the the official ship day of, of uh, InDesign that we were at at, at Macworld, I think it was in Boston. Um, that was when Charles Gesky um, announced his retirement. Um, and it, Apple famously um, licensed PostScript. For five years um, because Steve Jobs wanted to buy Adobe, um, but they wouldn't sell. So they bought a large um, bunch of shares and stuff. And so they had a five-year license for PostScript. They started that in 1985 and that's what started, and they put it in their laser writer printers and that's what started the whole desktop uh, publishing revolution, right? With uh, the Mac and laser writer and PageMaker, which was a competing product as well. But uh, yeah, all through the miracle of PostScript, which is kind of how I got into coding because, you know, we had to go and fix um uh, PostScript files a lot too because they would they would often be <laughs> flaky back in the early days. Um, and last bit of follow up here is we were talking about VMware Fusion with Jaime in the after show, and uh, I'd mentioned it was around fifty dollars. It's actually a photo, Adobe, VMware Fusion uh, one point eleven point five is seventy nine dollars US seventy nine ninety nine, and I don't think that includes a, a Windows license. There you go. That's our fact check. So Jaime, do you have some uh, Ask MTJC? Yeah, we've got one from a friend of the show, longtime supporter Sean Marston, who asks. Um, is anyone else getting this alert with every third-party app launch on iOS 13? Mm-hmm. That is, the Wi-Fi is turned off for City Mapper. In this case, mm-hmm. is the name of the app. You can turn on Wi-Fi for this app in settings. I uh, I know I have seen that. I don't know that I've seen it that often because I don't run with Wi-Fi off hmm. very often. I have never seen this one. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of times. Uh, yeah, I've never seen this one, but I know sometimes I turn off cellular to save you know save dollars on my my cell plan, my data plan. And I see and. Um, 
an error similar to this, but I've never, I don't think I've seen this one. And I don't know if I have City City Mapper per se, but no, I, have, I haven't seen this one myself. So you, you have seen this, Jaime, you think? I definitely have seen it, and I don't remember what the context was. I'm trying to figure out if it's a it's an app I commonly use or not. No, none of them are doing it now. I mean, for all I know, maybe it's a very specific bug on a particular version of iOS 13. Is this, yeah. is this anything new that we needed to be aware of? I mean, I'm making an analogy here to the Bluetooth changes, yeah. right? Where like every app that was trying to use Bluetooth for probably not the best reasons, I'm going to yeah. be very <laughs> generous about. Um, I've seen a ton of those, and I, don't, I think I've seen fewer of them now that I've decided to say yes or no, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know that this Wi-Fi one I saw more than a handful of times. What's, what's misleading about this error is if you look behind it, the screen says check if mobile data is turned on on your phone settings. So, so that's what I'm saying. I think if I have, if I'm out and, out and about and I've got um, my mobile data turned off for a particular app, it, it often tells me it can't run because, you know, some network error, right? Um, and it's not always clear, as, like as this one is just saying that you're not using Wi-Fi or you basically I've gotten network errors, but and then if I want to use the app like Instagram or something like that, I'll, I'll have to go in and flip it on and then that seems to be fine. But I think this is, this particular screenshot is, is maybe a bit misleading. I don't know. Sean might have to let us know if uh, if this is the case, like he had um, cellular data turned off when he tried to launch this app. But, but yeah, I have seen this. I've seen a similar error, but not, not this particular one. Not, not complaining about Wi-Fi per se, right? Yeah, I'm, un- I'm unclear. And again, I don't normally run with Wi-Fi off. And I'm trying it now and I'm not seeing it in any of the apps <laughs> that I normally use. So Yeah, but I mean, if you're, uh, what I'm saying, if you're out in the street and, you're, and you don't have a, a Wi-Fi connection, right, you're, you're using cellular at that point. Yeah, but I would still have Wi-Fi on, like, enabled yeah, for the, so I mean, the, the device. The I don't normally weird, turn right? it off unless it's like, oh, it seems like the Wi-Fi connection is bad. Let me try disconnecting again, you know. Yeah, the messaging is weird. Yeah, yeah. My, I don't know. There's lots of complaints about, uh, was it uh, iOS 13.2 or something, 2.1 or something recently? Um, the one, you know, the one people were complaining about it shutting down their apps in, um, prematurely because it's got, yeah, 3.13.1.2 is what I'm on. Um, yeah, we were talking about this at the, uh, in, the, in our um, online chat thing at work about uh, people were saying that the apps are getting shut down, you know, without warning kind of thing. But I think that's a new feature in 13, right? No, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a bug. Um, yeah. So 13.2.2 is what I have, and it is a lot better. Like, it doesn't randomly uh, kill apps in the background. And um, this is most noticeable for me when uh, I would use, uh, like, Overcast, for example, mm-hmm. and then, you know, um, control with my watch or maybe with my headphones, and it pause, you know, maybe I need to talk to somebody or I need to listen to something, you know, somewhere else. And then I'd press the button to play again, and it has killed Overcast, and the default behavior in this situation is to play the music app on something. I'm not even sure what it plays. Oh, it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. the most recent thing you played from what I figured out. Um, and so it was, really, it was really jarring, really irritating, really glad that they're no longer killing um, apps in the background uh, haphazardly, I guess. It didn't seem like it was, you know, super reproducible in terms of like, aha, if I put this app in the background, it's dead. It would just seem like, like the low memory warning or whatever it was that was supposed to be there was like a little too aggressive in trying to clear things up. Yeah, I, I, I know I've had that situation where if I haven't been listening to something for a while and I flip and click, the, I still use earbuds, but if I, so if I click the, the volume start stop volume button or whatever on the, the, um, or the middle button on the control, it would, it would start playing the music app, like you said, instead of I would be expecting Overcast, but that's because I hadn't been using anything for a while. But yeah, I guess it's weird. I was going to ask you like how you knew an app had been shut down in the background because usually when you go back into apps there, like you mean like they wouldn't even be there if you went to swipe up on your phone? Like they would be gone or like doesn't it sort of keep a state of them? No, like you would, and this is where like podcasts and, and overcast was like the most obvious one be, 
because yeah. it would like, not have access to the audio that you were playing maybe 10 seconds ago. It was not very long. Um, and you would sort of notice it in things like, you know, Twitter would reload itself or uh, Safari. If you had, you know, a couple different tabs open, it might reload itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's most jarring when you have something that's supposed to be playing an audio file and it just stops, even though all you've done is pause it. Cool. Yeah. All right. The last summer I bought a Roku at uh, a garage sale, but I forgot to ask the guy for the remote. So I have no remote for my Roku. But so what, do you have any news for me on that front there, honey? Yeah. So uh, Roku now has a uh, an app for your Apple Watch. And this is vaguely follow-up to uh, some of the discussion I think we had on the show about, um, you know, my my role as a, as a Roku user and, you know, is it even still a valid choice nowadays? Well, if you've got one, like I do, you can install this app and uh, it works pretty well. So you have sort of the main controls you would want, the back button, the directional arrows and the main selection button, home button. Um, the nice thing is that it also has, uh, you might be able to notice in the uh, the photo, we'll have this link in the show notes for those of you driving home, that there's a couple different views that you can have. And one of the views is the list of most recently used uh, channels that you've been using. So mm. uh, it, it's okay to use the on-screen directional pad, but I wouldn't recommend it sort of like in general. It's, it's way better to just say, oh, cool, I'm going to go to Amazon Video or, oh, uh, you know, CBS All Access or Netflix or something, and then navigate your way there. So it's pretty handy if you've lost the remote, like in your your particular situation where you didn't even have it, mm-hmm. or uh, if you're you know on the couch and you're like, oh man, I really don't want to go, you know, across the room to go get this thing. It's it's you know, it's the winter season. It's getting cold. I'm snug as a bug here on the couch. And, yeah, I'll just I've got my watch on. Let me just use this instead. Yeah, but it's funny about this this Roku thing because I think I told you I bought a new TV for my mom and, and it had Roku built in. Right? It wasn't like I ch- had a choice. Um, yeah, because I, I do have the Roku app on my phone. I've just never tried it with this this Roku that I got from the speed sale, right? Um, yeah, interesting. Cool stuff. But yeah, being able to control it with your watch is kind of funny. So is it a standalone Apple Watch app? I'm curious. I think so, because I don't... It, it, it's it's hard for me to tell, uh, and I didn't mm-hmm. look too closely, because I do have the Roku app on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I haven't looked to see in the... I guess I could take a look in the watch. I never actually looked at the watch uh, app store. It says there is now a free app available for the Apple Watch in the in the article. So it works much like the iPhone or Android apps. Yeah, so I, this sounds like it's a standalone app, Mark. Is there an easy way to tell that other than looking at the app store within the watch? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never actually tried the, the app store on the watch. But uh, yeah, it says the new Roku app for Apple Watch can be installed today from an updated iPhone app. Uh, version 6.3. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Is it Searching say, on my watch. It doesn't say explicitly that it's a standalone app. Let me just check my Roku here on my phone. Hmm. Well, the Jeopardy music sounds plays. like it's not standalone if you can install it from the from their updated iPhone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotta I gotta have, have to have a device plugged in which I don't have one right, right now. So you know, it's funny. I'm not exactly sure what I installed because there is a Remote 11 Remote for Roku that's in the Watch App Store that I do not have, and the screenshots look different. Hmm. Well, we'll have to we'll have to have some follow up for fact check for next week. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not entirely <laughs> certain. And I, thinking back to WWDC, I'm not entirely certain how you know if uh, other than oh it doesn't appear in the normal app store on my phone sort of thing yeah, yeah. Well, this next next follow up here is uh, sort of we you know I gave a high, really highly praised review of uh, um, Photoshop for the iPad last week you know I still I'm still in love with it I think it's I still think it's a great idea um, but yeah my, my headline here is I called it designers are fussy um, because there was nothing but bad reviews on online about this uh, the launch of this app I think people misunderstood or or perhaps Adobe's marketing wasn't quite on point.
point when they said that uh, this was a, re- in quotes, real Photoshop. People were expecting a full Photoshop. Again, I don't know how, well, how you would expect to get an entire suite like Photoshop into the version 1.0 of uh, Photoshop for the iPad. In fact, you know, they give it a different name for a reason, I think, too, right? Um, but, and as we speculated last week, in the article it does say that, or the, uh, the, um, Scott Belsky um, acknowledged that that it, they basically did refactor as you guys were, were surmising uh, the the code. Like they they went back into the code and they, they they converted it over for for Photoshop for the iPad. And they were doing an MVP. They were doing a minimal viable product to get it out the door. And he said if you know if they had made it perfect, they would never ship. So um, this is and again I think I mentioned last week that there are some paradigms in the way you use this app on the iPad that are unique to the iPad experience. Like there's like gesture rec- Recognizers and and commands that are they're unique to using an iPad that don't exist in in uh, can't, can't exist in the, in the, on the Mac as well, right? So yeah, so they uh, there was lots of um, you know disappointing, bad for colorists. Uh, somebody just said rant Photoshop for iPad sucks, and um, so I'm you know a little surprised that uh, I'm I'm not surprised that people would say that, but uh, I'm surprised that people would take such a negative point of view of it um, because I'm still delighted with with uh, the tool set that they have delivered, right? So yep. You know, but uh, like I said, you change change somebody's ex- experience, and uh, they tend to tend to freak out about it. And this other uh, this next tweet here is it was a tweet that started a, a bit of a storm too. Um, this is from the developer of Ruby on Rails, and uh, Steve Wozniak's also piled into this one too. And this is about the Apple Card, and this is a link I've got here from in the show notes from the Loop. Um, D H A D H H is what's his name? Anyway, he's a developer of um, Ruby on Rails, and he was mentioning that his wife and himself filed joint tax returns uh you know they they have been married for a long time they have you know very similar incomes i think she actually makes more money than he does he was saying and yet apple gave him 20 times more credit sorry apple slash goldman sachs gave him 20 times more credit on his apple card than she got and uh steve wozniak later um also uh, jumped in and said the same thing happened to him and his wife um it's kind of interesting thing and it it kind of follows up on what you guys were saying when we first started looking at the apple card was i believe you guys thought that you maybe didn't get quite the credit rating you deserved on your cards? It was weird. It's like 17.99% or something absurd. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah. Like, my credit score is really good. I've got, you know, cash on hand, liquid assets. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not sure exactly what they have access to to look at for, for this beyond credit score, especially in the in the age of, you know, aggregating from different resources. Um, mm-hmm. But I certainly didn't see anything like this where, you know, ostensibly your, your household income is the same whether you're, uh, you know, DHH or his wife, yeah. and yet you know he had like a twenty times higher credit limit, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I think. Well, and so of course the, the the part I missed out of the lead here, or the part I'm burying in the lead, was that that he's claiming it's a gender bias, and um, of course Goldman Sachs is uh, uh, Andrew Williams, uh, Goldman Sachs uh, representative spokesperson, said that uh, they don't use they don't factor gender into their uh, into their accounting or their, their valuations and. And they say that each account is looked at individually, um, and uh, you know, each. I guess they're saying that each person has a credit history. And and I don't, I don't know if you guys uh, how you say your and your your credit is good because I've, I've looked at a few credit score um, sites myself. And there's a new service here in Canada started about a year and a half ago, and I recently dropped it because there was an investigation by our Canadian Broadcasting Corporation a show called Marketplace where they investigate this kind of stuff, and they found that the people who do these online credit ratings 
things are not they say in their in their fine print this is just for entertainment purposes only they're not really credit people and blah 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 so they i don't know that they actually have the same calculus that the banks would use when they're when they're creating a credit rating for you and they have access to the same well, kind of level of detail for, so. you know if you get it from equifax or one of the three there are three yeah, in the u.s legit at least, places, there, yeah. are th- yeah. there are three credit bureaus i guess they call them equifax mm-hmm. and i don't remember the other two the names of the two if you get it directly from there and there are places services that will give you the actual score from there or your bank might or something like that mm-hmm. um so yeah so i know mine is really good but yet i still got that very high what i consider a very high interest rate on right, the card. Right. my my credit limit was on the on the card was reasonable i guess i mean it was um you know about what i'd expect for a credit card i suppose mm-hmm. did they give you like an upper spending limit kind of thing as well or yeah yeah i mean it's so so the limit is like 20k okay you know? okay yeah it's so, pretty high so, so i thought that was pretty high i mean yeah yeah not ridiculous for... but it's you know it's a brand new card so you know who knows yeah 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 you're not planning on buying a tesla with it are you no no <laughs> well let's see at two percent back if they take apple pay uh... <laughs> yeah that's true and and you're saving on gas too let's not forget that right, right? So. but by the way you can't you can't buy a tesla for 20k <laughs> no i know i so i mean like 20k is not going to do it for you is what I, where I was going with that right right so. right, right yeah but I'm, i think you know when i when i was running my business early early, early days running working on max selling max and stuff like that i had to work pretty hard to get like a twenty five thousand dollar credit limit you know yeah. um you know they had to have some securities and had to sign some papers and all that kind of stuff but yeah like normally when you start a credit card they, they give you like five thousand dollar limit or something like that right so um and you and you earn it by you, i find you earn more more uh room on your credit card by not paying the bill off every month i don't know i mean you said i think you, you said you, you cover your bills every month and and uh do you find that they offer you more credit over time on, on normal credit cards oh no no you're you're right like it would be better to try to spread things out a little bit and pay a little bit of, of interest because yeah. i i treat it like a charge card where you know whatever i've used up i pay it all back down every month I, every month right. i hit zero so right. that's how i talked myself into all right even though i'm offended by this 17.99 percent apr it really isn't meaningful to me because yeah i'll just pay it off anyway exactly so it's I'm, zero I'm exactly the same way yeah 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 huh. interesting yeah so i will have to have to keep an eye on this story there, there was a couple of other um articles that i read in in the star i'm not going to go and find trying to find a link for that today but they had mentioned in this the same they covered the same story from like, these all come from the same sources um and uh they were saying that uh they they brought back the analogy about the uh remember the hiring thing i think it was amazon was doing they were using ai to to uh, screen uh, resumes and they found that there was a large percentage of males were getting through the filters and females weren't because the, the ai or something in the ai had made an assumption that most male most developers are male you remember that story we talked about it, that? it's it's similar so they were they were trying it out to see what it would do and they could find good candidates and the the problem is when you look at some of the diversity issues that amazon and, and many other tech companies have it's kind of not surprising that eventually the ai said oh well i'm getting reinforced in the idea that um men do so much better and therefore are much more likely than women to succeed at amazon uh not anything about the reasons why that's happening right but just like well, yeah. this is how it's done and then so we, the, the ai 
I just like practically started hating women is like, no, the women can't really mention no, women like, too. Apparently that was but, a story. But you like, know, with, with that case and, and actually maybe even in this particular case, uh, it's very possible that none of the data that they used to, for these, for these models actually said male versus female. Cause remember mm-hmm. how these machine learning models work is they learn features that are just completely unrecognizable to a human. You know, it's, right. it's, you know, you look at like an image classifier, the, the, the features that they recognize in the images are just random splattering of pixels and, and, and it, it doesn't look like anything to a human, but yet it makes sense in the data. So it's certainly possible that even if the, the credit histories or, or the resumes in that case never explicitly said male or female or never had a, a name that there, nothing that would obviously identify someone as male or female, it's possible though that there are certain combinations of, of, um, parameters, whatever you want to call them, of, or items that are on these things that to a machine learning model, it picks out as, as, uh, uh, things that, that it, that it's basing its decisions on. And those also have to be correlated to males and, and females. And mm-hmm. as, as we know, you know, correlation is not causality. It's not caused by the fact that it's a male or a female, but right, there may right. be things that are correlated to the pattern. The pattern does. Yeah. 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 There are may things that there may be things that, you know, males, uh, uh, you know, have properties that males have, and there are other properties that males have that are that that just so happen to align with not having as good a credit history or whatever, you know. And and it's like I said, it's not causal; it's not caused by that fact. But but it may there may be uh, statistically statistical connections, and and the models are picking those out somehow without even having any intentional bias. And it's possible that the model has a bias built into it that was not intentionally put in at all. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but maybe there is a bias in there and so they just have to fix the model yeah I, and that's what i was saying about dragging machine learning or ai into this into the story is that um you know they're what we see as a as a as a relationship like you know again don't forget human beings we like to put things into boxes and categorize things that's just how our, our little brains work but um machine learning or computers are do, doing this kind of stuff are not like humans they don't need to categorize this in the same sort of ways but um it is possible as you know using the future is scary kind of metaphor that that um decisions could be made for for what un, uh, unlikely reasons I, I i get what you're saying like like you know if you tend to if you t- tend to like foosball and and you, you shop in particular stores you know that might you know make the model think that you're of a better credit risk than someone who shops at you know babies are us or in places like that right you know, or, yeah. yeah and it has nothing to do with whether you're a male or female doing the shopping it's, it's just the, what you're buying and where you're buying it, it from. Ex- exactly stuff, right? yeah because the, the computer makes connections just based on the data that that may or may not be real. I mean, I guess they're, they're in some sense they're real, but they may not be real for the reason that we think they're that that they have that the, that we think the reason is right. Right, and, and you know the thing I think we mentioned this before that you're fooling yourself if you don't think the credit card companies are keeping track of what you're buying and when you're buying it. Oh, and, of course they are. Of course they. You are. Know, that's how they they can send you uh, if if you're of the female persuasion and you know you start shopping in particular things, they may congratulate you on your new pregnancy because of the, your your spending pattern. You know, right recently sort of thing um before you even know you're pregnant kind of thing i've heard stories like that too but yeah i, I think that but i think the lesson here is that you know that and maybe as developers we should be aware of this is that you can't just rely on on the magic that is you know what's seemingly magic of of machine learning and 
you know pattern recognition as being de facto truth, right? So, right. Yeah, now, so. and yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know in this particular case of the of the credit card, but we have a really really limited amount of data, mm-hmm. uh, and the two data points that we have, and actually maybe there's more, but I but I only see the two. I see this DHH guy who was the inventor of Ruby on Rails, Ruby apparently. On Rails, yeah. And we have yeah. Steve Wozniak, who is who's Steve Wozniak. So yeah. it's quite possible that the model picked out people who are famous in the tech world uh, or driving segways, yeah, inventing these you know things that made bazillions of dollars, and therefore they got a higher credit rating. Mm. And and maybe maybe their wives and, and I, again I don't know I'm just surmising maybe their wives just got the normal one that everybody else gets, but but, but these two guys got the super bonus twenty x one because of who they in particular are. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. hard to draw conclusions from just these two data points. Yeah, and again, is, is, it, is it who or, or what? You would think it would be what they're what they're they're spending on. I mean, like this is that big data stuff that you know all the banks and credit unions have that we don't have. We're not privy to, right? Um, they 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 have much larger uh, things to, to consider, right? They have more more information to work with, right? Like spending histories over twenty years and that kind of stuff, right? Right. Or yeah, yeah I mean, it might it, it might not even be that complicated. It might just be the system said, "Oh, that's Steve Wozniak. Let's give him a much much higher credit rating than everybody else." Yeah, yeah. This is the whole <laughs> this possible. is the whole WWDC isn't really a lottery argument. Is that where this comes from? <laughs> you know, well, you have just... no. I mean, I mean, you think they don't take into account that he's Steve. Wozniak? Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, is that is that the is that the conspiracy we're going with? You know, sort of thing. I don't know. Like I said, we don't really know from because we don't have a, we don't have access to the. And all we know is the, two very high profile people made this point. That's all we know. Yeah. yeah I mean, unless unless there's data that's saying this is happening all over the place, I, but I haven't heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to say. Well, the world has changed quite a bit in the mm-hmm. last little while. You know, people would get perks and we wouldn't even know about it. But then now that we have Twitter, we can hear about it. Right. Um. Yeah. Next story here is. Uh, has to do with Disney Plus, which launched uh, this week. Actually, yesterday, I think. No, Monday? Was it Monday? Help me out. Yesterday, Tuesday, right? I feel like it was last night around midnight. Is what no, it, no it was midnight on Monday. So, yeah. So, and, and it was like, yeah. And people were starting, people were complaining about the, the bumps, uh, you know, like. And, of course, it, you know, I don't know. Surprises actually makes news that, that um, there were technical hurdles getting getting it up and running, especially here in Canada. I'd heard that, you know, there were some, some people were getting it and they were, they were getting errors saying you're, you're not in a region that's enabled to use the service and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, this is this link I've got here is from uh, Kitchener, uh, which is a large city near near Toronto. Um, it's uh, Kitchener's water, where Waterloo is, right? Kitchener Waterloo, they're sort of um, joined at the hip. Um, of course, the article's not loading on my computer right now, but anyway, um, yeah. So people were people were having some hiccups and stuff like that. By the time I got onto Disney, uh, we, we got into a family plan, um, and uh, yeah, so I started watching um, the what's it called the uh, Mandalorian. Lorian last night. Amazing show, by the way. Uh, just one episode, blown away. It's probably better the best Star Wars uh, show I've seen in a long, long time. Um, but uh, yeah, so and it's pretty, pretty interesting uh, sort of service. But yeah, by the time I got on, it was pretty, pretty smooth. And it, I was actually surprised because I had uh, downloaded, I loaded it up on my Apple TV, and then when I went to use it on, it said if you have a uh, on your mobile device, and I had downloaded the app earlier in the day on the mobile device, um, it just automatically picked up the account in information and transferred it over which you know again is like uh, when when something when a handoff like that happens really smoothly it's uh, it seems like magic right so which is what you expect from disney i guess um but uh, yeah so i have you guys even heard anything about uh, disney plus in your way your areas or talked to anybody about, about it
about it, hiccup-wise or whatever. I hadn't heard anybody uh, with hiccups, but it did seem like people were pretty pleased with uh, The Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> displeased with the uh, 16 by 9 choice for oh, the yeah. Simpsons episodes, for the yes. early ones that were 4 by 3 and they would cut off, uh, crop off some of the visual jokes, visual gags that are at the edge. Yeah, the um, one joke I saw was the Duff Beer one. Did you see that one? Right, right. That's that's the, the one I'm, I'm thinking of. But Yeah, there's like the, the three vats of Duff, Duff Light, Duff, regular Duff, and then some other Duff. And the part, because of the cropping, it cut off the fact that you could see that they were all being fed from the same tube. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it seemed like it was largely good from the people that I know. Uh, Mark, mm-hmm. did you have uh, things that you heard? I have not heard anything. I don't know when it ended up happening with this launch. I mean, apparently they, the the word on the street is that they had something like 10 million subscribers, which, you know, this is kind of a, an interesting thing because they'd had a lot of people all right there mm-hmm. lining up, you know, right at midnight or whatever time it was, uh, local time. Uh, and that's a lot of people trying to sign up and stream right then. And on the one hand, it's like, well, Disney owns um, BamTech, which powers the uh, Major League Baseball live streaming and was the technology that was used to um, basically save HBO Go, HBO Now when their internal team efforts failed and the technology mm-hmm. got replaced by that. So you would think that Disney would have a pretty good sense of um, how to make this stuff scale. So it's unclear to me if it was, you know, uh, it could be login related is one thing that comes to mind and, and session management is not something that they've had to deal with. Um, and that sort of peak of, you know, tens of millions of people coming in at once, thundering herd problem. Yeah. Uh, or if you're the more, um, you know, conspiracy theorist minded, uh, people were saying, I'm like, well, you know, it's not too bad to have a little bit of like, oh no, like it was so popular that Disney couldn't even keep up with the demand as a story. And then, you know, the engineers the next day go in, sip their cup of coffee, double click the thing that says, you know, add 10 times more capacity. And then they're done. The capacity right. they knew that they were going to need, but decided not to have for this one night. Well, yeah, you, 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 they always say you don't plan for the, the peaks, you plan for the, you know, the, the median, right? Um, but it, the, the quote here of the day is that uh, the consumer demand for Disney Plus has exceeded our high expectations from spokesperson Peter Pitino. Um, yeah, we're pleased with this incredible response and they're working quickly to resolve uh, the current user issue. Like I said, by the time I got home at like six o'clock at night, it was it was fine. So it's interesting to see all the titles that are on the, on the screens, like, you know, like I think the the, um, you know, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic are like right off the top. And so I was scrolling through, you know, how you have the menu that shows you the top you know, featured things and the trending things and things like that, right? I mean, trending on day one, which is amazing. Um, but I was looking at the, the titles and, you know, scrolling through pages and pages and pages of, of content thinking, you know, I picked out maybe five or six movies that I'd never seen before. So I just watched The Black Hole just before we started um, the show today. Um, I, I've just it's just never got around to watching that when it was back in the day, you know. It was always in the remainders bin at video stores and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I just happened to watch it. Um, yeah, I mean, and I watched a little bit of New Hope after The Mandalorian. And, you know, it's just, it was interesting just to watch Star Wars in super, super duper high res, you know, 4K, ultra HD, you know, quality. Um, considering the movie was made in like 1979. But uh, I, I think that you posted something about the fact that, that um, they can't leave well enough alone, which is my favorite story on, on Star Star. Star Wars in general, right? The fact that they changed the shootout scene with Greedo and Han Solo again. So, to be clear,
clear it wasn't they. Apparently, this was uh, George Lucas mm-hmm. who did this um, like seven years ago, like before oh, really? he sold oh. to, to Disney. So he, he added in the weird McClunky edit, that it, as it's being called, where yeah. Greedo makes that word that's not translated at all in the subtitles. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I don't, I don't get why Lucas was doing that. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, okay, like we can argue about uh, Greedo or Han shooting first. Like, I get it. Like from that perspective, I don't understand why he felt like you know what. I really think he needs to say McClunky here, which has been <laughs> bothering me. And finally, in uh, 20, uh, 2012, we have the technology that the way I truly intended Star Wars to be, mm-hmm. you know, to be realized. I don't get it. And I think it gets to the uh, artist tinkering thing that you've talked about on the show before. Many times, yes. Well, well, he didn't, didn't he uh, first try to make it so that Han didn't shoot first? Yeah, he made Guido, yeah, so, in, in the, in the uh, after the laser disc, right. Right, when he went to video. So, so so this, so this would allow him to restore it back to, okay, Han did shoot first, but yeah. he was justified because of what the other guy said. Mal- Malinky? Yeah. It, well, it's uh, still the... Right? Because I, 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 I actually think, read about I think this. Greedo shoots first. I'd have to look frame by frame. It's almost simultaneous in the... Um, yeah, in, in, the, in, la- the, in the latest later edit, there's, you see a, like, a, like Greedo missed, right? But, but I'm thinking, like, I go back to the 1977 version where Han Solo was so badass that he shot the guy into the table you know that you know in fact they did that i think they did it again in blade runner too right um a few years later but yeah i mean yeah the the, the reworked version had you know yeah then they released it so the guido shot first and and Han, and missed Han, Han, and then they changed the timing of it but yeah i don't know being a purist i think that the 1977 version was so so much more badass right yeah they wanted to make him seem nice i guess you know so he could sell more toys or something <laughs> it's weird because it seems like as lucas and, and this is gone off into the more than just code part um it's really weird because it seems like as Lucas got older, he completely misunderstood what his own story was even about or, or what his characters were about. Yeah, he's making America great again. Um, all right, let's move on to the main show, main part of the show here. And uh, so I had posted this article last week or a couple of days ago, just before we we were convening today, that the much rumored Mac 16 inch MacBook Pro uh, was going to be revealed in, in private press briefings. Um, this is an article from the 11th of. Um, which is Monday. Um, and yeah, so today on Wednesday, as we record November 13th, the uh, MacBook Pro 16-inch appeared on the stores. So have you guys had a chance to look at anything about these or hear anything about them yet? I looked at the price. Not cheap. Not, Not cheap. cheap. But Mark, but Mark, remember, you're effectively getting, you know, like a few hundred bucks off. You're getting 3% percent discount. Off, what yeah. are you complaining about? Yeah. 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 Let's see, 3% off 5,000 bucks is what? Let's see, 10% would be 500 bucks. So... Three percent would be about maybe hundred, roughly hundred and seventy-five bucks, roughly. Wait, so you're you're talking about cranking it all the way up to like the full full shooting deal, like the the six thousand ninety-nine, I think, if you crank it up. Well, not even the full one. I mean, just sort of the roughly average price was around five thousand, wasn't it? It depends what you did. Like they've, uh, well, here, let me just click the buy. Yeah, let me do that. Yeah, so I, it starts I actually, off at, actually did this and figured out twenty-three ninety-nine Canadian, right? So or no, Canadian, American. really? Tw- sorry, American twenty-three ninety-nine. Oh, okay. American. 20, yeah, yeah, I'm looking. Well, okay, so, but you'd want the high-end one, so twenty-eight hundred. But the minimum storage is minimum configuration is 16 gig and 512, right? 16 gig memory and 512 storage. Yeah, that's, so they bumped up the storage so that 512 is your your baseline. That's not too shabby, right? To it's not start. too shabby. Um, looks like the 2800 model, the higher end model. 
one it starts yeah. at one terabyte. So that's pretty good. I think for my case, I said, well, if I wanted to drive this into the ground, as I'm doing with my current 2012 era yeah. MacBook Pro, 64 gigs. That's another, whoops, I clicked it wrong. Well, I, another, I need eight terabytes of storage for sure. And I need uh, 16 gigs, uh, 64 gigs of RAM. So I'm at so it's another 800 bucks. So I'm at 35.99 so far. I'm at 57.99. But if well, I, I might as well get the better processor too, the i9, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, yep. for, for 200 yep. bucks more, it'd be silly to get the middle popcorn. Exactly. Well, right. the high end. And well, six, gig 16 gigs of RAM is actually not that much these days. No. I think oh. you want 32, if not 64. If you're, if you're in Photoshop, yeah. you want 64. But, uh, yeah. you know, most of us can get by with 32. So I'm at $6,099. If, if I put in the faster processor, 64 gigs, uh, the, the faster, the more... Uh, you gotta, you gotta get the faster graphics card, too. Yeah, the faster graphic card and, yeah. and 8 gig of storage, right? And I might as well throw uh, Final Cut Pro, which, oh, by the way, is 299 I remember, just for our fact check, 299 for, for Final Cut Pro, and then I might as well put Logic Pro in there so I can mix the podcast. Yeah, so I'm at 65.98 now. Yeah. So, okay, and I need another 3%. I don't get the 3%. If, if you can account, find a friend who has a, 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 uh, an Apple card in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. But of course, I need another power supply, right? Yep. And then, of course, I need the AirPods Pro, you know, um, buds, because, you know, I can't listen to you know, 8 gigabytes. I can't listen to the fan blowing all the time. I have to have the noise cancellation, right? So. Yeah, okay. It's actually not as not as expensive as I initially thought, but right. but it's still not cheap. There's no thousand dollar dongle for it, though. True. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna switch over to Canada and see how much this is in Canadian dollars because I'm sure there's a bump in exchange rate as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts at thirty four ninety nine Canadian for the, the high end model. Let's go. This is this. This is that. Uh, I'm at seventy two hundred dollars Canadian for the just for the hardware. Oh, boy, I forgot to update the um, the processor as well. So seventy. Yeah, roughly seventy five hundred dollars in Canadian Canadian oh. dollars. Seventy four fifty nine. I'm gonna take up my favorite app, PCAL. Seventy four fifty nine. I'm gonna gonna do the conversion into American dollars so you guys can see how much more we pay in Canada for the same piece of equipment. All right. So clear this. Seventy. By the way, PCAL folks, if you're looking to do quick uh, conversions from Canadian to American or Fahrenheit to Celsius, it's an awesome app. So yeah, seventy four fifty nine at today's exchange rate is fifty six twenty five for the full configuration. That's not bad. That's cheaper than the American one, right? Are you sure you maxed it out? That doesn't make sense. So I've, yeah, I've got the I've got the the i9, uh, 24, 2.4 gigahertz. I've got 64 gigs of RAM. I've got 8 gigs of memory for the graphics. I've got an 8 terabyte storage drive. And and yeah, 7459 converts to 562594. How much is it for you guys maxed out? Sure. Maybe they're taking pity on us because we don't have Six, the 3%. 6099 That's $400 difference? That doesn't make sense. You're right. It they, they heard you complaining about all this uh, Canadian uh, tax or whatever it is. Hmm, what do you know? Yeah. I feel better already. Yeah. <laughs> How, how many do you want to buy? And now, how much would you pay? And some other things that are kind of nice about this, but it has me, I mean, I'm probably not going to get it on day one, like just to be clear, because of a couple of reasons. One, I still want them to pull it out of like a sandbox, like a yeah. literal child sandbox and that it still works. And, and supposedly it does. It has, but it has different keys, half, right? That's different keys on it now. Different keys. So instead of the, the butterfly one that has been much maligned for, for years. It is a scissor switch style key, which apparently makes it a little bit less likely to have, uh, you know, a single grain of 
sand, mm-hmm. you know, destroy the, the, the ability to use the key. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit more travel. So, or actually, it's, I guess quite a bit considering the level we're talking about. So instead of half a millimeter, it's a full meter meter of travel. And uh, Apple has also said that, oh, by the way, we it's also easier for us to replace and repair individual keys instead of, oh, one key went bad. Guess what? Replace the whole keyboard and basically the whole lower half of the unit. Um, so that's nice. They've also uh, returned to the T-shaped arrow keys, the much more usable if less visually appealing arrow keys. So that's nice. That's a good usability update. They also have shortened the touch bar. And why would they do that? Well, because the escape key has returned. So, right. Oh, really? Yeah, this is definitely the, the developer's laptop. Right? This is a, definitely a pro. And like, nobody really uses the escape key except developers, right? Like, I'm sure there are people, yeah, get out of, you know, full screen mode and stuff. But like, nobody really uses it and, and wears it out the way that developers do. Really? I, I You know how often I use my escape key? Not very often at all. Um, I just want to point out, too, so I'm looking at tech specs, I, and I found the 15-inch tech specs from before. Um, it's basically, uh, where is it, 14, 14.09 inches wide, whereas the 15-inch laptop was, discontinued one, uh, 13.75. So it's a quarter of an inch wider. Yeah, people were saying that it is bigger than the 2015 that it replaces, but is roughly the same size as the older 2015, like the, uh, sorry, the the older 15-inch, the 2015 model. Oh, the one with the wider bezel, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they've shaved the bezels off. People are already complaining about sort of the weirdness when you see the, the squared um, edge and then the, like the really squirkly type curve on the bezel. I want to see it in person. I don't know that it's going to really bother me. Um, I mean, I just want, just want to get stuff done. So yeah, and this this laptop that I'm, I'm recording this very show on is absolutely giving up the ghost. You know, it's 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 seeing the light. Is that a 15 year on right now? It is a 2012, the first Retina MacBook Pro. Wow, that's even older than mine. I've got a 2013. Yeah, yeah, and I, I haven't truly needed it because I'm like, ah, you know, I do a lot of stuff, work stuff, and I want to tinker with stuff. Ah, it's arguably work stuff. Um, but this has just gotten you know so much you know use, and now uh, one of the USB A ports died as I have to switch where my microphone comes from for this very show. So it's, you know, it's time. It's it's going to go live in a farm upstate pretty soon. Give it to your mom. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we have an article by uh, Alexander Grebenyuk about the Swift UI layout system. And I think it's really kind of a neat one to look at and, and read and, and try to understand based on the diagrams and screenshots that he's made, where he talks about how Swift UI's layout system works, especially when compared to auto layout and it works quite differently and he points that out right that auto layout you more or less have a relationship between anything you wanted whereas swift ui works kind of more like the old frame-based layout right like even just this three-step process of like cool uh step one the parent proposes a size for the child step two the child says i'm going to choose my size and then step three the parent places the child in the parent's coordinate space and generally with sensible defaults like centering rather than i think upper left that the old frame layout used to do and there's other sort of nice things that work too right like i i know that images image views were always kind of a pain to work with um in any sophisticated way in auto layout or at least i found it kind of painful where sort of weird things would happen if you had a constraint set incorrectly whereas in this case it's like well if i don't explicitly tell the layout system that i want this to be resizable i can make the frame anything a darn well please the actual size of the image is what will be respected and so that's a little bit easier to sort of grok through what's going on and then he also talks about the um, the stacks, right? The H stack, V stack, and Z stack, 
for horizontal, vertical, and 3D, back to front, for lack of a better word, stacking and sort of how that system works. I think they sort of take the concept of what UI Stack View did, but makes it even easier to understand because you don't have the sort of same paradigm that Auto Layout has and, and arguably some of the, the baggage that Auto Layout had as it went from like iOS, what, 6 onwards. Um, and also kind of towards the tail end, he talks about how uh, it's not layout specific per se, but the Swift UI can take a peek at the environment of variables such as size categories. You can say, cool, um, are we in the large size category? Give it 20 points of padding versus you know, 10 points, mm. which I think is a little bit easier in some respects, but I honestly don't know without having tried this in any sort of major realistic project as to whether that's better or worse than the way size classes used to work. Like make, like maybe it works really well for like tutorial stuff. And then when you're in an actual team, maybe it's an absolute nightmare. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm playing, playing around with the uh, auto or sorry, with, with the UI quite a bit. And it, it does, there are some things that are a bit odd. Um, some weird things to learn. Like I still haven't figured out how to get an image to fill the entire screen. Like it, it wants to use safe area, so you get you know the the chin and the head bump at the top. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to sort out how to get that, but you know I think looking at this might make it um, more understandable. I think in in the past, oh, there's tabs here. Look at this. Uh, in the in the past, you would um, you know you'd get the size of the window, and then you would you would basically scale your image to fit the window. You know back in the frame frame days, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's been a bit tricky, but thing. And I've got a little bit of one of my picks is going to be talking about uh, a little thing I discovered in Xcode that I wasn't aware of and most people haven't talked about yet though but uh, kind of handy helpful for this this kind of stuff yeah but this this is an interesting interesting good read neat yeah I haven't tried out your scenario but looking at the the little note he has here about safe area so the one thing I do like is that the safe area is what you're dealing with by default and then you have to go out of your way to not to do the default Um, and it appears to me that adding a dot edges ignoring safe area with a parameter of dot all is probably what you would want just based yeah, on the name, sounds but like I haven't tried that. We had a, we had a, when we went from system, or system six, when we went from iOS six to iOS seven, you remember they had that, that um, edge inset or edge offset or something like that, um, that we had to override or turn off when we were, if we were laying out for both OSs or iOSs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think it's something related to that, right? Like it's honoring that, that space that's, you know, arbitrarily set there. Like in the, in the diagram here, the first diagram where he's got the hello world um, label in the middle of, and he's got the yellow boxes or frames to sort of show how the centering works. You see what I mean about like the, the line across the bottom which is where the, the home area is and then you've got the notch area at the top but mm-hmm. I've been able to get the image to fill that entire rectangle but not extend into the upper or lower parts, right? Yeah. Even trying this edges ignoring safe area? I haven't tried that yet. No, no. I just, it's, uh, yeah. and, and that'll, that'll be interesting and I'm kind of curious to we'll, we'll get to, when we get to my pick you'll see it again. I'm kind of curious if that's, if that's an option that, that I maybe missed or hadn't seen or didn't understand but yeah, cool. I have to take this one for a drive. So what else you got for us? The next thing is from Swift.org, and it is the SSWG annual update. That is the Swift Server Workgroup, SSWG, mm-hmm. talking about uh, what's going on. So 12 months ago, they wanted to define a whole bunch of these efforts that uh, would work for server-side Swift, including folks from Apple and Vapor and Swift, uh, sorry, uh, Kitura and other other groups. And they've been doing some you know interesting things. Like, for example, we've talked about uh, Swift NIO or Swift Neo, as I've heard people call it, the uh, the non-blocking networking framework for uh, for high performance on uh, server-side Swift. 
Um, so that's a library that is uh, part of their incubation process where they want to have like a really good set of core tools that people can and use. Uh, for example, um, logging, you're going to need logging. So Swift Log is one of the other projects. Uh, Swift Metrics for keeping tabs on, you know, um, what's the performance like on these different requests as an example. So if you've ever used JMeter or any other sort of things and other ecosystems where you want to put some instrumentation to see, you know, how are things performing, maybe, you know, for alerting purposes or for, you know, performance tuning purposes. Um, they've also got, uh, apparently Postgres Neo NIO, that is the first database driver for Postgres that the SSWG has approved and uh, apparently builds on Swift Neo. So that's, that's pretty nice. Uh, we've also got ReadyStack, which is the way to connect to, uh, Redis. The, I don't know how to describe Redis as other than like a caching mechanism. I know it can do more, but that's more or less what I've encountered it as. Uh, async HTTP client out there. Question? I was just going to say Redis is just a, it's a key value store database. I know it can do more. Like I actually looked just to double check before. I was like, oh, I guess I can do some other stuff too, but key value store cache, you know, highly performing cache is more or less what it does. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, APN, APN Swift. So for the Apple push notifications. And as we mentioned, since you're going to have to make this change anyways, by uh, November of 2020, switching over to the HTTP2 uh, library, if you want to send uh, push notifications to uh, to Apple's APNS service, um, maybe you'll give this a try. And then rounding things out, they've got uh, StatsD client and Prometheus, which from my understanding will work with the Swift metrics stuff to do more of like, I think they're kind of more like adapters to get the metrics into different kinds of reporting mechanisms. Not my area of expertise, but that's that's more or less what I got out of it. Uh, also, they've, they've got some tooling updates, like uh, they're making uh, official Swift images available for Docker, uh, for Swift 3, yeah, 4, and 5 on Ubuntu. And they're doing the slim images that required only what is required to actually run Swift, which is almost certainly what 99% of us out there actually want to do, as opposed to the one that lets you um, build and run Swift. Not saying people don't do that, just more people do the latter, I think. Uh, Swift Backtrace, which will provide some uh, really critical crash backtracing for Swift programs on Linux. So that'll be pretty cool because certainly Backtrace is one of those tools that I've used a lot in uh, in the debugger in Xcode. And apparently their focus areas for 2020, if you look at this, is like the, the review for 2019. More database drivers and storage clients, distributed tracing, connection pooling. Uh, something that's interesting to me, so open API support. You know, we've talked about open API swagger as the way to um, declare your uh, your APIs and then you know, have the documentation and actual clients be able to be programmatically built for that declaration and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it seems like it's going to be a pretty good year for them. Excited to see what they come up with. Nice. Cool. All right. Um, hmm. And you're up again, I mean. Yeah, it's it's kind of a tech news day with related to uh, to GitHub. So GitHub Universe is their two day two days yeah two day conference going on, and uh, some major things came out of it so far. So the first one is that they're uh, extending their sponsor program, so you can tip individual open source creators for their work. So it was in like early access invitation only. They've expanded it beyond that now. Um, also, a uh, really thing that uh, I think is pretty neat, and I actually signed up for and I'm using, um, GitHub has come out with a uh, betas for iOS and Android of a mobile app, a native mobile app for iOS and Android. So you can log in and manage all your GitHub repo stuff. And it's pretty cool because it, uh, as far as I can tell, it seems like it might be based on GitHawk, or at the very least, the uh, developer involved in that, uh, friend of the show, Ryan Nystrom, formerly of Instagram, now over 
uh, GitHub uh, is working on that team, apparently. And uh, I also enjoy the fact that this uh, this client, this mobile client, supports dark mode by default, which is cool. That <laughs> gets an A-plus in my book. And also, um, it's pretty nice that it handles the SAML SSO option for um, authenticating to other organizations. Like, for example, my employer's organization, right? I have my own personal GitHub account, and they have added me to their organization so I can do development on our private repositories. And it's really nice that I have access to do that. On your phone? On my phone. So I can look at pull requests. I can get, um, apparently I can get push notifications, but I just turned that on. So I don't know if I will be turning that back off. <laughs> kind of <laughs> right. a yeah, yeah. risk reward sort of situation if I want to get notified uh, yeah. through that means. And I will say that it does give you the heebie-jeebies in terms of um, the authorization page. Kind of, at least when I read it, is like, this is basically giving this thing authorization to do just about anything that you could do yourself as uh, logged in as yourself. Mm. So it seems really scary. And if it was a third party app, I probably wouldn't have accepted it but because it is a first party app. And I got the uh, the warm fuzzies that I got emailed from GitHub's automatic system. They're like, hey, FYI, uh, a first party OAuth application was given access to your account. I'm like, yep, that was me. That's obviously the right one. So that was pretty neat. I like it. I've never been super happy with the web, uh, the web-based portal view of um of github so i'm going to see if this uh this changes my life in any meaningful way at the very least it's kind of a cool tool toy to play with now nice yeah yeah and apparently they've also added like better notifications and and other stuff you know notification handling because that can get sort of out of hand from github but i haven't seen that yet in uh, in github so hopefully that will launch soon because i currently am using a whole bunch of email filters and rules to sort of parse out you know which emails do i or which notifications do i actually need to look at which is you know apply to stuff that i'm interested in or to things that i'm working on versus things are like, well, I happen to be part of that organization and therefore I'm sort of getting spanned. So hopefully this will make things a little bit easier to manage in your your digital life working on uh, projects using GitHub. Oh, so I, dumb question. So this will only work with Git repositories or will it also work with Bitbucket repositories? I believe it is only through GitHub. I didn't see anything that gave me any hint that you'd be able to connect it to arbitrary um, yeah, usage. I have the GitHub app. I don't know. I can't remember if it, if it accesses the other, other type of repo on the Mac, I mean. Oh, right. Right, right. The GitHub desktop. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. Like, I haven't really used GitHub desktop. Um, and this one looks, this client for iOS looks like it's pretty specific to GitHub's flow. But, I mean, well, if this it's is based on GitHub, like you were saying, by Ryan, right? I don't know for certain that it is, but it looks a lot like it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Ryan took a lot of the ideas that he had and, and said, hey, here's what we can do even better for V2 sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No inside knowledge, but I thought that was pretty notable that uh, they pointed it out in the in the article. Cool. All right. More neat stuff. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we're, we're probably brings us to picks part of the show and you might as well go again. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> I'm, I'm on a roll here. <laughs> So my pick here is swiftly.dev, which is put together by Eugene Belinsky. And uh, it's a nifty little reference, like a really quick reference that you might want to bookmark for uh, sort of reminding yourself how Swift 5.1 happens to work. Um, sure, you could read the, the official Swift docs. I find them a little unwieldy if I'm looking for a very specific example of like, all right, I know that, you know, compact map does something in particular. Let me see exactly what that does. Okay. 
okay, cool. I can click that and see an example or how to tuples, tuples, how do those work? You can very quickly find those. It's as far as I can tell, it's not um, like it's going to cover every use case that you would see out of the official docs. It's really more of like a quick reference cheat sheet is how I sort of think of it of like, you know, nil coalescing. How does that work? Or, or, or ranges. What was that crazy if work? case let syntax again? Hmm. That kind of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I've used if case let more than like twice. Yeah. I probably should use it more. Yeah, but it's actually very useful. Yeah. And looking at the, uh, the example of like, you know, how you can see side by side, how that works with enums with associated values yep. or with the variable names. Pretty nice. I think it's well thought out. I don't know if this site supports dark mode. It is. It looks like a dark mode app to me, but I don't, I don't know. Do you guys have dark mode on by any chance? Yeah, uh, I, don't. I don't. You don't, Mark. What color are on the screen for that uh, that link? Uh, it's just so like white. a dark grayish. Not just uh, for which the background or the uh, the box. The, the box background the and the text. The background is white. Mm-hmm. Uh, the text is mostly black. Uh, the, oh. the oh, really? Are you surprised by that? Well, I mean, it's you know the code is not the code is color coded. Right. No. So I'm surprised, uh, but but you know, happily surprised that apparently his his website supports dark mode because I do run dark mode and for me that happens to be um, sort of a dark gray maybe almost black background hmm. for the main background of the color uh-huh. and the text is largely minty green oh interesting yeah, yeah. I mean some of the text mm. is green like the cut that swiftly title is green but if case let if case let can be used with well enums is green with associated values that's all black yeah it ends up being minty green and white huh. for me uh-huh. so there you go if you, if you haven't supported dark mode yet you probably should even on your web pages all the cool kids are doing it oh yeah i just changed it to dark mode it switches right over so I have a couple of picks here today. One, obviously, I talked about a little bit earlier in the show, and that's Adobe Fresco. And I don't know if I talked about Fresco on the show before, but I took it for a test drive this weekend. Um, I had uh, watched a couple of videos that I saw on um, on uh, uh, Instagram, actually, um, from Fresco, and uh, they had showcased uh, an artist. And so she was talking about how she draws her things. And um, so, um, so yeah, so I uh, saw how this, this uh, woman, she was talking about how she starts off her drawing with pencil and then she goes over top with inks and things like that. So I thought I would take the, the pencil for a test drive. Uh, I mean the pencil brush on um, on Adobe uh, Fresco, but I also used my Apple Pencil when I was doing this. And uh, so I posted an image up on Instagram and, and on Twitter, um, sort of a self-portrait I did from a selfie I took on the weekend. And um, yeah, I spent like probably maybe half an hour, 45 minutes on it. And uh, it I swear to God, it feels like I was working with a pencil, even though I, I'm for sure working on my iPad with Adobe Fresco and um, and the pencil, you know, using using the side of the pencil, using the pressure points and stuff like that, and changing to an eraser to get some of the white parts on the image uh, cleaned up. But um, yeah, from a from a like you know just amazing amazing tactile feel uh, of this tool. Um, I got to try some of the other brushes and stuff like that. We interviewed um, Kyle Webster on Roundabout about three four weeks ago. Um, he's he's a person who he wrote um, writes a lot of Photoshop brushes, and he was hired by Adobe to work on Fresco and it's it's done a really good job on this uh, the team has done on, on Adobe Fresco and I'm sure Fresco probably the stuff they learned on Fresco probably lent uh, some of the weight into what they've done with uh, with Photoshop on the iPad so yeah definitely if you're an illustrator and you're sitting on the fence I mean like I said it's a freemium app right now so you can take it for a spin and uh, I think you get all the tools out of the box so it, it works pretty well um, yeah it's a great great addition to the Adobe products on the store so I've had it for a couple of months but I haven't really sort of taken it for 
first been until this weekend. But um, the other thing I want to talk about today, too, was that, um, as you know, I've been working in Catalina on my other Mac. I'm going to switch over to that one now. Maybe I'll do a screen sharing so you guys can see what I'm doing. But I discovered this cool little thing. Uh, how do I share my screen? Here. Uh, can you, I'm just trying to see if you can see my screen. Let's see. I can see your can. screen, but the listeners yeah, can't. Which, which <laughs> one are you looking at? Oh, I see a, uh, a uh, Catalina backdrop. Island, yeah. All. Yeah. And in, the, up, in the menu bar, it says Zoom US meeting view edit window standard. Okay. So what I, what I was going to sh- show you was, was I've been using, ex- uh, I've been closing this, this last pane over here um, when I've been working in Catalina and I've been working on, you know, various things. And so let me just move this over a bit. And you can see that um, if I, it's funny because it is a bit buggy in terms of how this, this uh, live preview thing works. Um, but what I discovered was really cool. And, um, and that is this. Because you know how you can, you can design in the, um, in the live preview as well. Waiting for it to render here. All right. Yeah. So, so this is, this is sort of the login screen I was working on. You see how the, the, I've got the box here at the top and bottom. So anyway, what I was, I was playing around with, with these, this things like the, 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 um, this username field and password field here. So, but what I discovered is like, if I click on the text field here, um, it's high, it's, it becomes highlighted and I'm working on, if I click on the password field, which is a secure field here, um, you know, or if we click on the button, so on and so forth. So I've been working away on this, trying to figure out all these different property, um, modifiers, right? So like, you know, you get your text field here. Um, you know, like for, for if I want to have a text field, you have to have a state. So I have to create a state variable at the top here. And then, um, you know, I want to have padding or background color or whatever I want to have in here. So I've been working with this and trying to like, you know, look it up on the documentation and stuff like that. But what I discovered is if you open this last pane over here, which nobody talks about, and then I click on a text field, um, I get these property things, almost like, um, like the, the uh, it's the same um, uh, screen that you have in the attributes inspector from interface builder and you can go in here now and so like for instance i can go and i can say well i don't want the background to be white i want the background to be red and it will change the the background of this it'll take a minute to render there you go see that and if i and i can change it to whatever color i want so if i want white um, i can play with the corner radius by changing the number in this here to 10 or something like outrageous oops and wait a second for it to render so it's handy to, to be able to use these these things, and what it does, it actually changes the code here in in the, the code view as well, right? So it's kind of handy, like a visual editor, to kind of see what's going on. Like I can see what my my state variable is here, right? I can see the the, the placeholder text that's in the text field. So it was handy when I was trying to figure out how to you know to lay this stuff out. Once I stumbled across this view, I could see what um, what you know options I had available for like if I'm working on a button or something like that. That's my pick this week is is to talk about how um, you can go in and play around with these things and if. I want to add a new modifier. This is what I was talking about with the edges before. Let's say if I want to click on that image. So I'm not, I've now got the image highlighted. This little add modifier thing at the bottom, if I can get it to pop up. Come on, baby. There we go. Yeah, it really pays to have a 16 gig or MacBook 16 with uh, lots of memory. So you see this big, long scrolling thing here. These are all the attributes that you can apply to this particular item, like this image here, right? So let's see. What were we talking about? Edges or something? Edges ignoring safe area. There it is. This guy right here, right? Yep. If I choose that, and what was the property? All, right? All. Yeah. So I see how that's not... And maybe you have to get rid of this aspect ratio, right? Comment that out. Let's look at your... Uh, yeah, look at that. Yep. Wow, that was easy. So now, for those of you on the phone, driving at home, my uh, the image now has has fit the uh, entire screen, the entire, entire window. Let me just shrink this down a bit. There you go. So you can see it's fit the whole window, right? So it's cool. Like, I mean, um, I had, like, I, I I don't think I've ever, maybe I should probably go back and watch one of the WWDC videos, but I don't think I've ever worked in, in the, you know, six months I've been working with, or five months I've been working with, with SwiftUI. I've never had this, this last pain 
being open mm. until the other day when I just and I just stumbled across it. And was working on this stuff, right? There you go. Yeah, it's nice. actually kind of new to me, and I probably should rewatch some of those sessions because maybe they briefly showed it, but it, it wasn't front and center. And I I do like the fact that this goes a long way towards something I'd said before, which is that the whole canvas thing and the way it works with the texts in live updating, it, it just seems like it really fully realizes what what storyboards in Interface Builder in particular we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that they'll have a storyboard equivalent for this to do more flows rather than the sort of the nib-based sort of look and feel that they have here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can see what I was, what I was trying to do. I was trying to replicate our login screen um, using Swift UI. And yes, and again, it's like, you know, it's amazing that you can do it in this much code, right? You know, these few lines. Yeah, I think the underrated thing from this, uh, this little inspector panel that um, you've shown me and Mark is that it, it actually makes it kind of discoverable in a way that maybe the docs would make yeah, super exactly. obvious. Like, what does this thing do? I don't know. Let me try it and see if it does anything. Yeah. And like, so, so, you know, I've been, I've been struggling. I mean, I've been playing around with, you know, trying to get like, you know, trying to make the buttons fit the, the view in a pleasing way, you know, because if you, if you don't have any padding on these, these uh, text fields, they go edge to edge. Right. And depending on what, what, uh, like if the image behind it was set to, uh, I think it was fill, um, they would extend off the screen and it makes no sense. Right. You know, you look at it and even, even as a non-designer, you would go, well, what the, is that doing? Right. And how do I make the button the same width as a text field? Cause it's a different kind of object. Right. And, and I'm sure if you look at it, it's not pixel perfect anyway. It looks to me, it looks like off by a nudge. Right. Oh, um, but it's yeah, probably, it's with probably this, because you have both the image and the, the V stack inside a Z stack. So the Z, so the well, Z stack is being sized by the resizable yeah. of the image. So, and the, so the V stack goes to the edge of the Z stack. Yeah. So yeah. And using that parent child model that, that Jaime was just talking about exactly right. like, like right. in order to get the image to sit in order to get these text fields to sit on top of the image, I had to put it in a, in a Z stack, which is the three dimensional front to back thing that Jaime was talking about right. alignment, I guess we'd call it back in the day. Right. Um, so yeah, in order, so I had to put the, I, I, don't, I don't think it matters if I put the image before or after, but because it's, it's in the same stack as at the same level as the V stack. Right. So the text fields are contained in, in here as well. Right. Like you see, I don't know if you can see the blue line that's around here now that I've got that selected. Yep. Yeah. So, which is handy. Right. Um, but yeah, so you can see that, that all of this, I wonder if it's collapsible. Oh, it is collapsible. Look at that. You can even collapse it like, uh, in, like you do in, in regular code, well, which makes sense because that's code. Duh. But yeah. So like, yeah, you can see that the Z stack and the V stack are at the same level. That was my, that was what I discovered just through poking around with things that I could get, you know, lay it to work, work the way I wanted it to. That's cool. Problem solved. <laughs> it, it is a, a brave new world. And I, I do hope that there are some significant V2 changes for Swift UI in mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah. Um, but it is pretty neat to see where they're, they're going with this. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It sounds weird to say, but I'm kind of excited to relearn how UI stuff works on iOS. Yeah. Yeah. But even I just clicked on the V stack here, even, even it has ability to have modifiers, but what's weird about this add modifier thing is, is it seems to be that everything's available on, on each object, right? See what comes up here. Like, even if it's not reasonable, it's not filtering it down yeah, in any way. See. Like I would, I would expect. Yeah. So yeah. Every corner radius, like why would I have a corner radius on a V stack? Right. Yeah. I, I forget how VStack works, but that might actually apply to everything that's within it. Oh, you think? I think VStack, well, as but, this guy talked about in the article, would add but, but you wouldn't have something... Well, stop scrolling so fast, Tim. <laughs> you Sorry. wouldn't have uh, auto-capitalization, for example, set on a VStack. Why not? That's in your list. 
I mean, maybe we want to auto-capitalize the secure field that he has here in his example, you know? Yeah. Make it so you could never type in the right password because it auto-capitalizes what you're typing. Yeah. I don't know. You're right. Yeah, I, I'm being facetious here. I don't I don't know that some of these make a whole lot of sense without understanding sort of the, the, the order of operation that SwiftUI yeah. interprets these things. Yeah. All right. You, but would, it is- you wouldn't have a navigation bar title on your on your VStack. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. <laughs> but it is handy to have like just about everything. It would it would be it would be better if it was more contextual for sure. Right. Right. But but it, yeah, scale the fit, scale the fit. Like these these are things that like as a designer who hasn't worked in you know Swift or even Objective C for the last you know ten years, they wouldn't know what they'd kind of go. Well, what does this one do? What does this one do? You know. But this they they don't have to know the code to do this. Like you you and I both know it's aspect ratio. What is that? It's out here somewhere. Well, I commented it out, right? Um, like they wouldn't necessarily need to know specifically what this is. I haven't figured out how to kind of do colors yet because, you know, color you can do with RGB color and stuff like that. Um, I do have an example of it here. Yeah, like here's here, here's a color with red, right? Down here? Yeah. So, so, uh, so but, why, what, what don't you know how to do? So, well, I, I know how to do it, but I, I don't know how to do it in this, this picker mode, right? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, so you have background, oh. I've got custom, but like, yeah, like, like yeah, so you, you and I both know, like, and I'm just playing around the, the, the different values here to try and get this, this green button to be the green I want, right? right? I could go look it up and, and it's, it's the same thing. It's just, instead of, but you know... It would be nice like, to have the color wheel there that you could click on or something like that. Yeah, like yeah. we have an interest built. And then have, yeah. you know, previously used colors, like little swatches and stuff like that. But yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it sort of takes away a lot of the, the mystery, like, you know... Because in the demos they did at the WWDC, you know, they were, they were going in here, they were going into this little attribute uh, object library here, and they were just dragging, you know, edit button. No, I want an edit button here. I just drag it in and drop it into the stack, right? Right. And then it just adds the code. There's the edit button right there, right? You know, and so you can barely see it here. But if I, you know, now I can go in with my, put my cursor here and then go and add a modifier to it, right? And then just find one that makes sense. Like, let's see. Oh, like I even saw dark mode in here too. Like there's a dark mode stuff. Yeah. But you can sort of play, you know, button style, for instance. Or was it a button I put in? Yeah, the button. I can come in and change the, the, the default button style or something else, right? So it's cool. You can change the text, you know. But that's an example of, of how how easy it is to come and try and find something here, right? Like this would be, yeah, I mean, that's neat. Neat stuff. And that's my pick. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, hey, hi. If people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine is the best way to get a hold of me. And so until next time, we'll say bye-bye. bye bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is Mike Van Ogmans, MTJC's favorite voiceover artist for some reason. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.
thank you. You're welcome. You have to film yourself oh, doing it, though. Sorry? You have to yeah. film yourself and put it on the website. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, Mark, do you have a pick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I might right. next time, though, because I'm working on stuff now. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, wait till next time. We had uh, we had a record-making snowfall yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it hasn't snowed like this since the 30s. We had like, oh, I want to give you some number, like 13 centimeters. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. That's a, For this yeah. time of year, that's a lot. I mean, you, yeah, you get we more than from... that in like February, though, right? Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. yeah, we would, yeah. I would expect a storm like that to come... Like yeah, later in the year, but yeah, not but not, not in November. Like, well, we normally don't get snow until I would say the fourteenth of November because I just remember somebody wrote that on a snow shovel up in when I lived up in Owen Sound hundred years ago. Um, so that's always been my sort of the middle of November is before we have our real major snowstorm. But yeah, we got we got pelted the other day. So wow. Global warming. Yeah, global warming. So, Jaime, when are you going to get caught up on your, your Spockcast content? <laughs> I don't know. So I was like, well, uh, Disney Plus, I'm going to wait at, at a minimum until all of The Mandalorian is complete. Right, okay. So I can I can binge it in one six ninety nine purchase. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's funny, yeah. We have the same... I have the same thing about Apple TV in that, you know, I, I can see why they want to dole it out one week at a time, but, like, HBO doesn't do that, right? Or, no, I guess they did with, with like, Game of Thrones and stuff like that, right? They would show you one, and, and that's not true. Yeah, they're doing that with Silicon Valley now, right? They're not getting all the episodes at once. Yeah, it's it's largely Netflix and sometimes Amazon, as far as I know, are the only ones who dump the entire season at once. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm also waiting on Apple TV Plus a little bit for stuff to get you know a little bit closer to being done, just sort of maximize that that free year, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that might impact when I decide to buy the 16 inch MacBook Pro. Right, right. Oh, you're not going to buy right away? No, I think I want to. I know things will be busy with travel and other things. So I'm like, well, I'll need some time to set up my laptop yeah. and um, I won't have as much time to watch Apple TV Plus. So mm. maybe I might do it in like January mm. and that'll give time to like, oh no, like, this thing breaks in half if you even look at it crosswise. <laughs> yeah, let all the other you know, people figure it out first. Yeah, yeah, I gotta at least wait until the, oh my God, look at this huge news, you know, non-news comes out. Right, 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 right. At least so I can see, you know, how how big of a deal it is? How about you, Mark? Uh, about which one? Any any Mac? Have you got you have you're currently running, running a decent Mac, right? Well, no, I've, I've I'm running at home. I run my 2013 MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. and you know I've been in a mark in the market sort of, or well, I've been saying I need a new one for a while now. But but the truth is, I don't really do anything that taxing on my machine at home these days. Uh, so I don't know. It's sort of hard to justify right now. You know, just for reading email and recording podcasts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I also, when I'm working at home now, I, t- I tend to n- I tend to use a, a monitor. I plug into a monitor, so I don't even have the laptop open. Oh yeah, yeah. And I rarely take my home laptop out of my house anymore because if right. I if I need if I leave the house, I take my iPad. I need to do something. Right, right, right. So so it's sort of hard to justify getting another laptop at all. I'm I'm actually sort of thinking about getting just a Mac Mini and plugging it into my monitor. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. pretty much for half the price, I can I can get something that does what I need to do really so you don't sit on the couch and work on stuff or whatever well i do but i but i have it sort of but i have the the bluetooth keyboard and the bluetooth trackpad mm-hmm. and and i kind of i can have
have the monitor like in front of me on the coffee table, I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I can I can do that. I don't need I don't really need a laptop. But you know you can also get like uh, AstroPad and and do the the remote thing with your iPad too, right? Like I, I tend yeah. to do that a lot. I I, tend to, I, I sit you know I, I'm sitting at a desk right now because I'm recording, but right. after this show, I'll you know for the rest of the week I'll work on the couch and and Carol's Mac, which you saw us, uh, earlier today. Um, that one I, I usually leave it on the stand unless I want to do some coding because I'll I'll, le- I'll even remote into it, right? So I don't know. And then I've got I've got you know the, a couple of minis that I use as servers and stuff like that. And then Carol's got a computer upstairs. And, yep. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, but yeah, I mean when I was running my own business and you know I'd go visit people, I'd, I'd throw my my Mac into a, a backpack and go off to work. Yeah, day, oh but, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I used to do the same know. thing. Yeah. But now that but now that I'm you know I've got an office Mac, you know I keep it in, in my locker at the office, and you know um, I have a, a PC here if I needed to look at code or whatever. But I don't really don't really need to take my computer back and forth, and why why bother, right? No, I, I bring my work lap home, laptop home with me. Do you? Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, the thing is, I'm on public transit too. That's the other issue. I don't want to be lugging around a uh, laptop bag, and especially when you know often don't get a seat on the streetcar or whatever. Right, you know? right. Yeah, it's just it's just another extra thing to lug around. Yep, yep. Those days are gone. Yep. I've been a, I've been a nomad Mac user since the portables came out. Like the I think I had a 140 when they first came out. PowerBook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, 1993, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I'm going to watch some Disney content. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Get my money's worth or my, my trial worth. Yeah. I'm driving my car up and I'm taking a few people with me. We're all drinking our own cars. Yeah, you'll probably be pooped. Yeah, probably. But we'll see. Well, let me see if I can get Ricky maybe on the, the sit-in. Ricky? Remember Ricky Who's we Ricky? met at the WWDC. Ricky? Which one was he? The guy with the long hair. He did all the research. Oh, the guy who did the podcast with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah he, he was more prepared than we usually are. <laughs> <laughs> Bring some professionalism to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Don't put that in the show. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I will. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk to you guys uh, okay. later. Take care. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.